for your, your third time. Okay. We're, we're glad to have you here, and uh, we, you've been doing a great job so far. Oh, we we so keep much. inviting you back. So, uh, um, for those of you that maybe weren't here this morning and, and last night, uh, you have a multifaceted ministry, uh, p- part of it out of your home down in Tacoma. Uh, how, how far do you travel for that ministry? Are, lo- locally in the Northwest, or have you traveled... Well, Far and beyond. Actually, believe it or not, we have spoken in all 50 states and five foreign countries. Most excellent. And, uh, and of course, if you're here for Sunday school, heard about his work uh, in the chaplaincy in the United States Air Force. Uh, g- give us a, in your, in your literature, you talk about speaking in a variety of places, churches and homeschools and other, other places. If you, had, if, you had to, if you had to pick one particular place to keep working, where would it be? If I had my druthers, it would be in a church like this. I'm being honest, okay, because you guys are so receptive, you're God's people, and you laugh at my jokes. <laughs> but where the action really is, where the rubber meets the road, is speaking on college campuses and places that can be kind of sticky. And, in fact, we welcome your prayers. I'll be speaking, for example, this Friday at Pierce College. And so uh, we cover your prayers, and that's where it get, can get a little antsy. That's where you have to speak the truth in love and walk on eggshells sometimes. Well, Dr. Hoyle may not know this. I, my parents were missionaries in Indonesia, and so I spent the bulk of my life in a foreign country and, and uh, have had a variety of conversations with people in a different perspective when they talk about patriotism, that I can talk to them having experience living in another country and maybe a, a better understanding than some of what a great country we have and how appreciative we ought to be of that. And we look forward this morning to hearing what you have to say about that topic. So welcome. So thank you. Oh, time. Okay. All right. Thank you once again. Uh, for those who might not have been with us during Sunday school, as I said, my name is Tom Hoyle with my wife, Penny. And as I said, uh, for 28 years, we've been talking about the Bible and science. And for the last six years, we've been sharing programs about God and country, programs that I've been sharing on military bases for the last uh, 32 years. Last night, we got to talk about the Bible and science. We got to look at land of the giants. And of course, as you know, during Sunday school, we talked about the cross and camouflage. During the worship service, this is a brand new program, folks, with regard to God and country, 14 spiritual reasons why God is not done with America yet. And, of course, my wife and I would be more than happy to talk with you afterwards in a resource area if you've got any questions or comments. Regarding the resources, we've had some excellent questions regarding good books and and discs about this subject. So let me say a quick word about some titles that uh, we recommend along those lines. This is a terrific book, folks, by a friend of mine, Miracles in American History, 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer. When I found out about this book, I knew it would be good because I know the author. I went ahead and ordered 76 copies, one whole case, sight unseen. I was taking a chance. They arrived. I gave a copy to my wife to check out because I had to be gone for several hours. I came back. She had almost finished the book and said, I can't put this book down. This is wonderful. We highly recommend it. I wish I'd written it. My favorite book, Rediscovering God in America. This will give you goosebumps, folks. The author has a Ph.D. in history. He knows his stuff. He loves America. He loves the Lord. And he's an awesome, awesome author. We really recommend it. For those who like biographies like I do, Faith of Our Founding Fathers has a chapter on each of our greatest founding fathers and mothers and the truth about what they believe regarding God and the Bible. The best reference book I've ever seen is by another friend of mine, America's God and Country. Hundreds of quotations, references, and facts with regard to how God founded our country, how God has been using our country, and God still has a use for our country in the future. An extraordinarily popular book, and for some reason men really, really love this book. It makes a good book for Father's Day or a birthday, The American Patriot's Almanac. One page per day is all we ask. Each page has a riveting account from American history, especially with regard to God's word or God himself. The author is William Bennett, who, of course, is a terribly godly man. Uh, I think he might be a Christian, and he wrote the famous book, The Book of Virtues, among other things. One last book. We just started selling this book. We're very excited about this book. And you might or might not agree with me, but folks, 
This book is a biography about a man that I think has the most amazing testimony in American history, George Washington Carver. He did not start out from nothing. He started out with less than nothing. He did not start out at the bottom. He started out 100 feet below the bottom and achieved amazing things. This wonderful book by a friend of mine goes in his testimony, quotes Carver over and over and over again regarding Carver's devotion to God, God's word and prayer. When I read this book, I had to get out a handkerchief. It is riveting reading. We're very pleased to make it available and at a big discount. One last item. We have several DVDs regarding God and Country. We just started making available this one, which was actually in the theaters, Monumental, starring Kirk Cameron. Very inspiring, and we're very pleased to make it available at a discount. So much for all that. We need to get started here today because you folks, you want to have lunch sometime. Can we have the lights, please? How many were expecting a picture like that? <laughs> Anybody? How many are discouraged? Would you raise your hands, please, regarding our country? How many are discouraged about America? That's right. I sure am. Obviously, folks, things are not good. There's a good reason why so many of us are very discouraged. You know what it is? We are being bombarded with a relentless barrage of nothing but negativity about our country. This is coming from both the left and the right. It's coming from conservative media and even Christian sources. As a result, folks, we're getting an extremely imbalanced perspective with regard to our country. And you know what happens when people are discouraged? They lose hope. When they lose hope, they give up. Many Christians are doing that right now. Do you know one half of evangelicals and fundamentalists did not vote in the last election? If they had voted, our country would be completely different today. So, folks, it's very, very important to have a balanced view about our country. Or, as Paul Harvey would say, let's look at the rest of the story, shall we? Let's look at 14 spiritual reasons why God is not done with us quite yet. And mind you, folks, are actually more than... Uh, we're still having that problem, aren't we? Okay, well, persevere. Anyway, there are actually more than 14 spiritual reasons, but... Once again, you folks want to go to lunch sometime today, so I had to cut it down to 14. We have to keep these reasons short because there are 14 of them. And mind you folks, these are very unique reasons. There is no country on the face of the earth that can claim all 14 of these spiritual reasons. In fact, there's no country that can claim most of these 14 spiritual reasons. And folks, four of these, as we'll see, are extremely vital reasons and almost all of them are very, very spiritual reasons. Reasons that I don't find mentioned in most books or in most films. Reasons that we need to consider, starting with America's motto, in God we trust. The nations of the world have various mottos. Some of them deal with God. Our country is the only country with a motto focused so much upon God. Indeed, folks, our national motto is found above the chief speaker of the House of Representatives in their main chamber in the Capitol building, and we find something likewise in the U.S. Senate main chamber. When you go to the Capitol Visitor Center, which is in front of and under the Capitol building, the first thing you will see, in God we trust. And mind you, that was very controversial, but the Lord prevailed, folks, and in fact, we find in God we trust on both the House and Senate office buildings. We find in God we trust and other scriptures and references to God engraved on various stones inside the Washington Monument. In God we trust has been our unofficial national motto since 1814. It's been on almost all of our coins since 1865. In 1957, we find in God we trust printed on reverse of almost all of our currency. And folks, I have good news. Currently, 93% of Americans think that's a peachy idea. All right? Isn't that encouraging? However, in God we trust has come under big-time attack. Fortunately, all of those attacks have failed indeed, folks. In God we trust, in 1956, 
was signed into law by Dwight D. Eisenhower, and it was approved by Congress almost unanimously. In 2002, and God we trust was reaffirmed by Congress. In 2006, it was reaffirmed by the Senate, and we're very pleased to announce in November of 2011, after hours, the House of Representatives in special session reaffirmed in God we trust by a vote of 396 to 9. That's very, very encouraging, folks. By the way, a certain politician approached the chief speaker of the House and said, can't you find better things to do with your time? And the chief speaker of the house told a certain politician, sir, I can't think of a better thing for us to spend time on. However, especially Christians need to remember, in God we trust. They're not supposed to be just empty words, right? Well, in God we trust, if you don't mind me saying this, evolved out of America's anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Our Star-Spangled Banner was signed into law in 1931, and we have in God we trust from the last line of the last verse. That verse is actually from a scriptural verse, in him will I trust. And we have a very devout, born-again Christian to thank for all that, right? Francis Scott Key. He, of course, was the one who penned the words for our national anthem. He was a very, very devout Christian and said, May I always hear that you are trusting only in the only Savior and going on in your way to him rejoicing. As you might know, Sir Francis, I mean, I'll get that straight. Francis Scott Key, he was not a sir. Folks, he was impressed by the Americans who held up to the British Navy during the War of 1812 at Fort McHenry. He realized these Americans weren't gonna give up, were they? And should God's people give up today? Absolutely not. He's also impressed by that great big hurricane flag over Fort McHenry, 32 feet tall. That's three stories tall, 40 feet long. Those Americans wanted everybody to see that flag. And God's people, they should tactfully and respectfully, but nevertheless demonstrate, if you will, the flag of the Lord Jesus Christ with their testimony, correct? While we're talking about our national anthem, do you know America has by far the largest number of patriotic songs dealing with God? No other country has that track record. And one of my personal favorites is that very catchy pop tune. I'm sure you've heard of it. God bless the USA. Very popular in military installations. If you're interested in more, there's a wonderful DVD by David Barton called America's Godly Heritage. But for the sake of time, got to keep moving. We turn to, since we're talking about flags, America's Pledge Under God. The American Pledge of Allegiance to the flag is extraordinarily unique in the world, especially with those words, under God. And as you might know, these words have come under big-time attack, too. But all the attacks have failed. Currently, 91% of Americans still think it's good to have those words in our Pledge of Allegiance. By the way, it was Dwight D. Eisenhower who signed into law those words in our Pledge of Allegiance. He did so back in 1954, and he commented, In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace and war. Speaking of our pledge, folks, here we have a bunch of school children, and they're obviously saluting. What country are we talking about here? Absolutely wrong. Folks, these are all kids from across the USA. It was called the Bellamy Salute. It was an extremely common flag salute in our country until the Nazis stole it and perverted it. And since World War II, no big surprise, we gave up on the Bellamy salute, didn't we? And we've adopted the flag salute that most of us are more accustomed to. But it goes without saying that as loyal as we should be to our country, because our country, folks, is still the world's last best hope, our first allegiance, of course, is to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? 
That brings us to America's oath. So help me God. It was George Washington who insisted that those immortal words be added to the end of the presidential oath. It was George Washington who insisted that the oath be administered using a Bible. You see, folks, we take all that for granted, don't we? This was revolutionary stuff. People had not done anything like this before. By the way, speaking of presidents, some of them, like Harry Truman, a good Baptist, by the way, they went one step further. After being sworn in, they knelt down and they kissed God's word. I think that's a pretty nice touch, don't you? And of course, so help me, God has been either a mandatory or optional oath across our country for many, many decades in countless courtrooms and other settings. That brings us to America's military chaplaincy. And it goes without saying, we've got terrific chaplains in all kinds of areas like police departments, fire departments, the Veterans Administration, hospitals, prisons, schools. Pastor Dave was a chaplain for FEMA, wasn't he? And of course, we have military chaplains. We talked about those during Sunday school, so we're not going to talk about that now. We don't want to repeat a bunch of stuff for people to get bored by, except to say, folks, that as you already heard, unfortunately, most of what I hear coming from the media regarding the military chaplaincy and military ministry, it is either very distorted, very isolated, or just plain downright erroneous. And again, we talked about that during Sunday school, didn't we? Instead, may we simply... Uh, once again, appeal to you to be sure and pray for our military, right? Speaking of prayer, that brings us to America's prayer. This is the first of four extremely important distinctives that we must keep in mind if God is not to turn his back on our country. Americans traditionally have believed in prayer power, and we have a whole program about that particular subject, how prayer has changed history over the years. Ten different examples of how prayer made the difference. Indeed, as you know from pastors preaching and teaching, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be given unto you. Do you know, with all of our sins and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures and all of our mistakes, praise God, the United States of America was the first country besides Israel in 2,000 years to institute a national annual recurring day of prayer. This is revolutionary stuff. It was George Washington, of course, who first authorized a national day of prayer. People had never heard of such a thing before. John Adams, our second president, he institutionalized a national day of prayer. James Madison, he popularized a national day of prayer. Many presidents continue to observe a national day of prayer, including Abraham Lincoln, who formalized a national day of prayer. Again, presidents were praying when we come to President Harry Truman in 1952, he made it official. It was signed into law. And by the way, we can't be getting political, but we do need to set the, the record straight. Our current president, folks, contrary to what was said in conservative media, folks, he did recognize a national day of prayer each year because he has to. It's the law of the land. What he did not do, which almost all presidents have done, is he never had a White House observance of a national day of prayer. His predecessor had a White House observance every single year he was in office for eight years. Anyhow, it was Ronald Reagan who standardized a national day of prayer so that officially, legally, the law of the land, it is observed on the first Thursday of May each and every year. By the way, the second George Bush, he said, pray as if all depends upon God, for it does, but work as if all depends upon us. I thought that was a pretty good quotation, folks. And folks, you know what? As long as Americans keep praying, I don't think it's time to declare our nation dead and buried, do you? There's a wonderful book, once again, I already mentioned it, called Miracles in American History, 
how prayer has made big differences. But besides prayer, a second very vital thing that will help guarantee America's spiritual survival, it concerns America's book, the Bible. As you know, once again, you probably memorized it, in fact. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we've talked about many of the wonderful evidences regarding God's word in the past. And of course, as you know, we don't need to prove the Bible, do we? But since the Bible is always true, we would expect to find evidence. And there's lots of such evidence. This is evidence that goes a long way in a witnessing situation. This is evidence that's extremely reassuring for our young people. But anyhow, George Washington, what did he say? It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Or, can you guess who said the Bible is a cornerstone of liberty? Thomas Jefferson. Folks, I don't think Jefferson was a Christian, but guess what? He wasn't a deist either. A deist back then was somebody who believed in an absentee creator God who made everything and then just walked away. Jefferson was huge on prayer, huge on the providence of God, huge on the word of God, and believe it or not, he was big on the judgment of God and warned people of it. No deist would ever act like that, folks. This is just one of the many things that's being taught in our schools that's just dead wrong. But moving on, very devout born-again Christian, a fiery born-again Christian, Patrick Henry said the Bible is worth more than all other books which have ever been written. He had his shortcomings, but Andrew Jackson said something really awesome. That book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln, the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior is communicated to us through this book. General, later President Ulysses S. Grant, to the influence of this book, the Bible, are we indebted, and to this we must look as our guide in the future. One of my favorite presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, favorite for many reasons, one of them being he had a very devout testimony. Uh, another thing I think I mentioned a couple years ago, he was a teetotaler, like most of us, never drank alcohol. Does anybody remember what he drank a whole lot of instead? Coffee. A lot of coffee. 16 cups of caffeinated coffee per day. Leaded coffee. This explains two things. Number one, why he was our most energetic president. <laughs> Number two, why he had a restroom built next to the Oval Office. Theodore Roosevelt was extremely politically incorrect, and he said, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure ourselves what that life would be if these standards were removed. Or cool Calvin Coolidge, he said, the foundations of our society and government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Justice David Brewer, U.S. Supreme Court. The American nation is based upon and permeated by the principles of the Bible. FDR, I'm not a big fan, but I sure like this uh, quotation, this statement. We cannot read the history of our nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in the advances of the republic. General, later President Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Bible is endorsed by the ages. Our civilization is built upon its words. In no other book is there such a collection of inspired wisdom, reality, and hope. Ronald Reagan of the many influences that have shaped the United States into a distinctive nation and people, none may be said to be more fundamental and enduring than the Bible. We could go on and on and on, but you know what? I was pleasantly surprised. In Newsweek magazine, they stated in a feature article about the Bible, now historians are discovering that the Bible 
perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. Newsweek magazine. Whoa. Folks, as I said, we could go on. But you know what? What is even more exciting than all of that is this. With all of our nation's sins and shortcomings and mistakes, the United States of America translates God's word into more languages and dialects than the entire rest of the world put together. Our country publishes and distributes more copies of God's word than the entire rest of the world put together. God has a use for this country still, folks, as long as we are doing stuff like that, don't you think? Indeed, America is the number one reason why the Bible continues to be the number one best-selling book in the world and has been the best-selling book in the world every single year for 500 years straight. That says something, doesn't it? Once again, there's still some spiritual tread left on America's tires that God can use if we don't throw in a towel and give up, right? Well, besides America's prayer, besides America's book, the Bible, we consider America's gospel missions as the third of four extraordinarily important reasons why America is still exceptional. As you know, God's Word tells us, as we read in, in Sunday school, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is my wife, Penny. That's her car off to the right-hand side there. <laughs> we are big on foreign missions. My wife has been a missionary to um, Bangladesh, the Philippines, and to Moldova. I say all that to say we are very, very big on missions. And so is God. And so is America. Folks, with all of our sinfulness and shortcomings, the United States of America, by far, it is the headquarters for worldwide gospel evangelism. We, by far, spend more money on the gospel than all the rest of the world put together. We send up, by far, more missionaries than any other country on the face of the earth. Indeed, while researching this, I came across an online article by Reuters, Reuters, as you know, it's not a Christian organization, is it? It's a secular news service, very liberal. I got choked up. They had a front page, so to speak, article about American missionaries. In that article, it said, if you go overseas and you come across a missionary, almost all the time, nine out of ten times, that missionary will be an American as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus and we spread his gospel, God has a use for this country, folks, and he's not going to turn, turn his back on it quite yet. Last but not least, a fourth vital, vital thing our country needs to stand for. It's America's defense of the nation of Israel. As you might recall from God's word, God has a warning. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Unfortunately, a whole lot of people are cursing Israel, aren't they? Israel, as you know, is a tiny little country, and it is surrounded by five hostile nations and water. You could not be in a more vulnerable defensive position if you tried. It's outnumbered 60 to 1. It's been involved in five major wars. Of those five wars, folks, the worst one was probably the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Indeed, Israel has been so much at war, it's not unusual to go to a kibbutz and see Israeli teenage girls toting M16 automatic rifles to school. Now, there is an upside to this. Israeli teenage boys tend to be very nice to American teenage, or Israeli teenage girls. <laughs> they tend to be very respectful towards them for some reason. <laughs> Anyhow, as for the Yom Kippur War, folks, this was by far the most desperate war Israel had ever fought. Indeed, folks, in 
a massive surprise one-two punch in revenge for previous defeats, Egypt and Syria attacked the nation of Israel. It was devastating. The Israelis lost a staggering number of aircraft, armored vehicles, and most of all, troops. The situation could not be much more dire. Golda Meir went to the UN and said, please, somebody do something. We're about to be overrun. There is going to be another Holocaust. The world turned its back on Israel. Britain and France took the side of the Arabs. Only one country stepped up to the plate, the United States of America. It was called Operation Nickel Grass. The world had never seen anything like it before or since. The U.S. Air Force, in 567 flights, transported a staggering 22,000 tons of ammunition and M60 tanks to the Israelis. Every single hour on the hour at Lod Airport outside Tel Aviv, there was a U.S. Air Force aircraft landing, and they were doing so every single day for an entire month. We're talking about 13,000-mile round trips. Reader's Digest referred to this as the airlift that saved Israel. And ever since, and historians have been using the same terminology, Golda Meir said, for generations to come, she said, all will be, will be told of the miracle of the immense plains from the United States that meant life for our people. Thanks to the power of God and God using America to help Israel, the Israelis shoved the Egyptians and Syrians back across their frontiers. But folks, their success almost led to their undoing because a great big red bear got mad, the Soviet Union. The Soviets said, back off. The Soviets prepared to launch five airborne divisions against the Israelis. 75,000 troops were being readied by the Russians to attack Israel. Well, when the United States heard about that, the Americans didn't say a word. What did they do? The Americans went to DEFCON 3. DEFCON 3 had not been seen in the world since the Cuban Missile Crisis. The intention was completely crystal clear. The Americans were saying, if you attack Israel, we are going to nuke you. The Russians backed off. Folks, as long as America is on the side of Israel, God has a use for this country. But we need to desperately pray our government doesn't do anything else stupid regarding Israel today. God will not pull our plug as long as we are Israel's protector as long as we are Israel's, uh, uh, well, uh, what should I say? Defender. There you go. Big brother. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, folks, America's prayer, America's book, America's gospel missions, and America's ward, the nation of Israel, are four key things that make our country very exceptional. Next, moving on, we turn to America's generosity. Well, folks, Americans are known for spending too much money. We're known for being materialistic, but you know what? We're also known for being pathologically generous. And I'm not just talking about, folks, uh, the usual things. According to even the press, America is very, very generous indeed, not just with money, but with time and even with blood. And we're talking about generosity both on a private level and on a governmental level. We're talking about generosity at home and abroad secular as well as Christian, and social as well as evangelistic. And there's a whole lot more about that in Bennett's book, The American Patriot's Almanac. But moving on, next, for the sake of time, we now come to probably the most controversial thing we're going to say today. We now come to, believe it or not, America's morality. And if you're like most Christians, and I can, I can completely understand why, you're thinking, are you nuts? America is wicked and godless and sinful and reprobate and disgusting, and you're right. America needs repentance. America needs revival. But newsflash, folks, even with the repeal of DOMA and some of the other things going on in our country, crunch the numbers like I have, all right? Check out the facts. 
Oop, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. Folks, name the sin, and believe it or not, America trails most of the rest of the world in that sin. That's right. One reason Americans don't realize this is our country is extremely isolated, all right? We don't know very much about the rest of the world. Uh, you're, when Pastor here mentioned the fact that you come from a missionary family, where are you? From, from Indonesia, okay? He has seen a good deal of the rest of the world. When I talk to military audiences, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They can't wait to get home to the USA after seeing the reprobate, degenerate things around the rest of the world. If you think our country is bad, go overseas, folks. It's a whole lot worse. Now, there are a couple exceptions. Um, your very dictatorial communist countries are more moral than our country. Um, your very, very theocratic Mideastern countries, they're more moral than our country. But hey, how many here want to live in North Korea? Anybody? Any hands? How many here want to live in Iran? Anybody? I didn't think so, folks. I love talking to foreigners, whether they're in our country or whether I'm in their country visiting. I love to bring up American morality, American immorality. And you know what they almost, almost always do? They laugh in my face. They go, American immorality? They say, you're kidding. You Americans are old-fashioned. You're unsophisticated. You're a bunch of prudes and Puritans. You're rigid and uptight. So once again, folks, if you think it's bad here, go to some other country. Check out things over there. And the proof isn't a pudding. I took a big chance. I swallowed hard. And I decided I was going to research the 10 top most wicked cities on the planet Earth, especially known for the red light districts. I figured there'd be at least two American cities on the list. I was hoping and praying there'd be no more than, no more than four American cities that are really, really bad, okay? I spent hours online researching all the figures. Do you know there are travel agencies that actually have travel packages for the 10 most wicked cities on Earth? I kid you not. All right. When I got all done, drum roll, please. The top 10 most wicked cities on earth. What are they? Here they are. The top seven in the yellow are in every single list I've ever found. Now, the order might change back and forth, but Amsterdam and Bangkok are always either number one or number two as the wickedest cities on the planet earth. Now, the three cities at the bottom in the white are in almost all lists but not necessarily every single list, okay? Folks, what do you notice about this list? There's not a single American city on this list. Now, how's that for a big shock? San Francisco, I found one time at the very bottom of one particular list. That was it. That was the only time I found an American city on anybody's list. Isn't that encouraging, folks? <laughs> It could be worse in this country than it already is. So, folks, you know what? Our spiritual life signs... <laughs> our spiritual life signs, they might be weak and they might be erratic, but we're not dead quite yet, are we? God has still got some use for us all right? And that means we need to, as Christians, be salt and light until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and make things correct, right? Well, moving on, we now come to America's faith. America is born a Christian nation. Obviously, America is not nearly as Christian as it used to be, but it is still, by far, the most significant Christian nation on the planet Earth. And those are just the plain facts, okay? As far as our origins are concerned, Patrick Henry said, this great, whoops, this great nation was founded by secular humanists. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? He said what, folks? Christians. That's not what they're teaching in most schools today, is it? Benjamin Franklin, what did he say? History will afford frequent opportunities of showing the necessity and the excellency of deism above all others, right? Is that what he said? He said what, folks? Christian, Christian religion. That's right. 
John Adams, he said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved uh, independence were the general principles of Christianity. Or, guess who said this? No nation has ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Christian religion is the best religion that has ever been given to man. Who said those words? Thomas Jefferson, the so-called deist. They don't teach that in schools, do they? And by the way, folks, I keep coming across many, many fine Christians that are completely unaware of any of this. And they will tell you all of our founding fathers were a bunch of godless deists. That is just not true. James Madison, he said, Christian religion in its purity is the basis and a source of all genuine freedom and government. Father of the U.S. Constitution. It's too bad that folks, most Americans, don't know that, do they? But everybody's heard of his wife, Dolly. Dolly Madison, favorite for, uh, favorite for uh, popularizing ice cream. But does anybody remember her favorite flavor? Anybody? Dolly Madison's favorite flavor of ice cream, it was oyster. right before lunch. Noah Webster, he said, Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Or, U.S. Congress, it ruled there is no substitute for Christianity. The Supreme Court ruled this is a Christian nation. The Supreme Court ruled we are a Christian people. And neither of those rulings have been rescinded. Justice David Brewer, Christianity has so largely shaped and molded America. I'm not a big fan, but Woodrow Wilson said, America was born a Christian nation. Harry Truman, he said, this is a Christian nation, folks. And so once again, a lot more could be said. But once again, God's people need to make sure that we remain as much of a Christian nation as we can possibly achieve. Truly, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. And there's a whole lot more about that in my favorite reference book on the subject, America's God and Country. We now come to America's heritage, a very unique heritage. Why do we study American spiritual heritage? Because it reminds us to give God the glory regarding the founding of America because it encourages our faith regarding how God has blessed and used America, and it challenges us to persevere until the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns again. We've talked about America's spiritual heritage in times past, and you might recall that we have gone all over the country and seen examples, especially in Washington, D.C., of our spiritual heritage. In Rediscovering uh, God in America, we have a much more in-depth look at that subject. And we have also talked about famous Americans and what they believed. Famous Americans like George Washington. I call him the bulletproof patriot. George Washington was in three dozen major battles. Historians agree in eight of these battles he should have been killed. But he wasn't. I refer to this as the nine lives of George Washington. Indeed, I was pleasantly surprised the Wall Street Journal recently had an article, and in it they said, Washington was never wounded in battle, which caused many of his contemporaries, friend and foe alike, to think he had the protection of divine providence. Do you know Washington folks usually fought right there in the thick of a battle? He never shed a drop of blood for his country, except from a paper cut. There are all sorts of interesting articles and books about George Washington, even from secular sources. But let me illustrate, please, before we move on, for the sake of time. After all the battles in which Washington fought, after the battles in which he was right there on the front lines duking it out, how many horses did George Washington have shot out from under him? We're going to let you decide. How many here say, A, he had seven horses shot out from under him? Raise your hands, please. Okay. How many think, B, he had 11 horses? Okay. C, 16 horses. 
D, 24 horses, and E, none of the above. The correct answer? It is E, none of the above. George Washington, folks, despite all the combat that he saw, was never, ever wounded once, but his horses did not fare quite as well. George Washington lost 26 horses in combat. Do you think somebody was looking out for George Washington? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? And by the way, do you know that George Washington was not only good at dodging bullets, but dodging germs? George Washington was our most sickly president. But no matter what Satan did to him, Satan just couldn't kill him until the Lord was ready to take him home. President Calvin Coolidge was a big fan and expert on George Washington, and he said, Thank the divine providence, which kept her, him to serve and inspire his fellow men. The first George Bush said in general regarding our founding fathers, as we study American spiritual heritage, he stated, The great faith that led our nation's founding fathers has given us strength and inspiration to this very day. And more about that in Faith of Our Founding Fathers and in the new film, Fundamental. Last, not least, we turn to America's gratitude. We could go on and on and on, but some of you are thinking, let my people go. <laughs> the Bible tells us, folks, over and over again to give thanks unto the Lord. And you know what? With all of our sins and shortcomings, except for Israel, the United States of America became the first country in 2,000 years to institute a national annual recurring day of thanksgiving to God. We owe this to uh, William Bradford of the Pilgrims, George Washington, editor Sarah Hale, and Abraham Lincoln. And of course, it behooves us to remember that thanksgiving <laughs> It's not only a time for gluttony, it's also a time for giving thanks to God, right? I love a statement. I wish I'd gotten a better photograph of it. But in the Library of Congress in the Thomas Jefferson Building, there's a statement from America's greatest orator ever, Daniel Webster, who said, Thank God I am an American. So there you have it, folks. We have very, very briefly looked at 14 of the spiritual reasons why I just don't think God is quite done with us yet. Folks, there's an old saying, as you know, it's not over till the fat lady sings. Well, you know what? The fat lady might be backstage. She might be warming up. She might be going up and down her scales. But she hasn't started singing yet, has she? which means that God's people need to keep on keeping on for him in this country until he returns, right? We need to make sure that we don't become discouraged and hopeless like so many others have experienced. We need to remember Romans 13 and other scriptures, which we talk about in a different program. We need to remember the words of the famous English statesman, uh, Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. More specifically, may I recommend we continue to vote, 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 vote once, but vote. Write our congressmen, write our senators, write our newspapers, tell others about the Lord, tell others the truth about our country, make sure we tell our kids. We need to support our churches, support our country, support our missionaries, support Israel. We need to serve in our local churches, serve in PTAs, serve our country. We need to pray. We need to pray and pray some more. Can we have the lights, please? As we wrap up things here today, and again, my wife and I would be happy to talk with you afterwards, we do hope and pray that everybody here has turned to the God of our fathers for salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here who's not yet done that, we certainly hope and pray that you'll turn to Christ today. See one of us after the services. We would be thrilled to share the good news of the gospel, right? How a person can live forever by being a born-again Christian. Most of us, we've already done that, haven't we? We're already saved. We're redeemed. We're converted. We're born again. But as the song goes, we've only just begun. Salvation's free. It's a gift of God. 
We get to go to heaven by confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, asking Christ for forgiveness of our sins, asking him to be Lord and Savior, right? But after we're guaranteed heaven, it's time to show our love towards our Lord, right? By serving him, for example, in a great church just like this one here, right? We hope and pray that everybody here has a job of some kind in this church. Because the Lord, folks, he will honor such service, won't he? He'll be handing out crowns for such service in a church like this one, won't he? But most of all, if you're like me, most of all, I serve the Lord because I just really hope and pray that when I stand before Jesus at the Bema Seat of Christ, I just hope and pray. He'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And by the way, there are jobs for everybody in this church, aren't there? I mean, my goodness, there are classes to teach and songs to sing and floors to sweep and diapers to change and meals to cook and grass to cut. We have a huge need for prayer warriors like George Washington. An invalid can serve God by being a prayer warrior. Isn't that awesome? And I'll take all the prayer I can possibly get. My wife will take all the prayer she can get because she's married to me, okay? So pray, 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 all right? If you don't have a job in this church, please see your pastor. Get one. If there's nothing else you can do, pray, 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 right? If you would bow your heads, let me close in prayer, and then we'll turn the services back over to our, uh, our worship team. Let's pray. Our God... We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we don't need to prove it, but we thank you that the more we dig, the better it looks. We thank you that your country, America, was founded upon the principles of your word, that your country, America, still translates and publishes and shares your word throughout the world. We thank you that your country, with all of its sinfulness, overall, is still the biggest witness you have in this world. And we pray that we as your people will help continue to make your country serve you in this way until you come again and make things right. We thank you for all this. In the name of our Lord, Savior, and Creator, Jesus Christ, amen.